Podcastle, episode 441, for November 8th, 2016. A Shot of Salt Water, by Lisa L. Hannett. Rated R. Greetings and welcome to Podcastle. I'm Angela Slater, one of the guest hosts for Australian Fiction Month, and I'm delighted to present this episode because the story featured herein is by my best friend in the whole wide world. Podcastle is very proud to present A Shot of Salt Water, written by Lisa L. Hannett, and originally published in the May 2015 issue of The Dark Magazine, which you can find online should you be so inclined. I remember beta reading this story in its infancy and being struck yet again by Lisa's ability to just surprise a reader and shake the ground beneath their feet. She has a rare talent for making you rethink what you know about the world and all its possibilities. In this story, she gives us some most unexpected mermaids. Lisa Hannett has had over 65 short stories appearing in venues including Clark's World, Fantasy, Weird Tales, Apex, The Year's Best Australian Fantasy and Horror, and Imaginarium, Best Canadian Speculative Writing. She has won four Aurealis Awards, including Best Collection for her first book, Bluegrass Symphony, which was also nominated for a World Fantasy Award. Her debut novel, Lament for the Afterlife, was published in 2015. You can find her online at lisahammett.com and on Twitter at Lisa L. Hammett. Your reader today is Kian McMahon. Kian is an Irish software engineer who in a past life was the world's youngest professional podcaster, ran a radio station, and very nearly ended up being a journalist. While he hopes to someday revive his show, which Pod faded many years ago, he now spends most of his free time playing about with cameras and cooking, as old microphones and sound desks lurk in the shadows right at the edge of eyesight. So please sit back, grab a coffee, a tea, or the stiff drink of your choice, and enjoy a shot of salt water. A Shot of Salt Water by Lisa L. Hannett Accordions unpleated welcoming songs the day the mermaids returned. The first notes droned joyful at dawn, played by young men with wool collars unrolled against the wind. Mattress clouds bulged above land and water, miles of damp cotton dulling the fishermen's music. As the sky blanched, fiddlers sawed harmonies, horsehairs screeching on weather-warped bows. Barons were rescued from blanket boxes and cupboards, clatter spoons from the back of junk drawers. Soon, drummers' thumb pounded down the autumn gold slopes from the village. Beats jigged and reeled past the wharfs along the coast, then splashed through froth seething to shore. Sparking a cig, Billy Rideout watched the procession from the dunes, nodded at the lack of flute wailing. That hollow music wasn't fit for a homecoming, he thought. Too much like drowning storms, like last breaths blown through old bones. There'd be singing later in Ma Cleary's kitchen, and in the tavern, in the shipyards. Up and down the waterfront, men were already warming throats with liquor and oil, preparing for tonight. Mermaids liked a bit of haze in his tenor, or so Billy Ridge told himself, soaking smoke. Half a day's sail away, the first tall masts striped the gunmetal surf, 
Get your arse down here, Rid, called Eli Stagg from the strand, carrying an armload of tinned gooseberries. Grab a basket on the way. Billy Rid pocketed the half-burnt stub, did as told. On the beach, musicians and local boyas milled, horsing around between tunes they swigged from jars while uncles and grandees set up trestles. Ankle-deep in the shallows, ancient sea-salted women supervised, criticising with squints and scowls, but few words, pointing out which tablecloths need pinning down, tisking at the smell of charred griddle cakes, snapping knot-knuckled fingers as Billy Ridd made a mess of the buffet, jumbling savouries and sweets on the boards. Between snorts, the matron snacked on baked haddock, sucked on bottles of spiced rum, dipper, screech. Full sails, said the eldest, her white hair still pleated in maid's ropes. Keen eyes trained on the horizon, she talked around a half-chewed wad. Fleets racing the rain. Innards clenched, Billy Ridd pretended not to see the sharp-nosed schooners spearing closer. Distant fuzz dots slowly hardening into crow's nests, smudged lines into hemp ropes. Coffin-dark jibs faded to sheets of burgundy and mud on approach. Between the proud sails, tall figures flitted to and fro on deck. They climbed the rigging easy as flies. They swung the boom. They white-waked it for home. Rid turned away, fumbling a plate of currant loaves. Gulls swooped, crammed their gullets with sweet white bread as rowboats were lowered over gunwales a mile offshore. Ducking to avoid claws and beaks and wings, the boys each took a shot of salt water. Fill your guts, they said, tossing it back for luck. Good lads, said the nuns, shooting the squawkers, smirking when Rid suggested a second shot. Only takes one, they said. Better safe, Billy Rideout replied, upending another glass, failing to drown the squirm in his guts. The mermaids far outnumbered their rowboats, neither so many as when they'd first set out. Clinker planks and woman both were hard-worn from their travels, Hulls were mottled, keels paint-flaked. Otter skin slickers were ripped and sleeveless, showing off oar-muscled arms. Canvas pants were ragged, storm-chewed at the hems. Some hung like skirts, revealing tattooed thighs. Short-straw girls remained out on the ships, so close, but still so far from home. Guarding the profits of their time abroad, the yield of raiding and trading, scoping the waters for ill-omened shadows. The shore party leapt overboard, hauled tired skiffs from hard-packed to soft sand. Their hair was dreadlocked, rimmed with spray. Ten months at sea had staved in their cheeks, chiselled the roundness from hips and breasts. Blubber-treated packs were slung cross-body, leaving their arms free for fighting. Several hefted short swords, others had daggers, though weapons weren't needed for this landing. There were no screams at the seafarer's approach, no terror at the sight of harpoons. Instead, a baritone chorus whooped its greetings, singing tunes that beckoned them, one and all, inland. Blood cracks split the maids' smiles as they ran to their dads, their boys, their lovers. Only one made the trip from water to welcome slowly. Concentrating, stepping carefully, she waddled across the flats with bucker strap loose around a misshapen belly. Reckon your lass is carrying, Ma Cleary said to Billy Ridd, lifting her pipe at the girl he loved. Then the old sailor bent, knees cracking, and palmed a handful of shells off the strand. Whispering a blessing, she threw the lot like confetti. 
first time lucky. Lucky, said Rid's mouth while the rest of him gaped. Sweat prickled his brow despite the chill air. The sky puckered and began to spit. Lord, look at her, he thought, fumbling for a stiff whiskey to keep him upright. For nigh on ten months, a whole season sailing, he'd packed every minute with distraction. Full days on the wharf, full nights at Callaway's pub, cod fishing, carousing, pickling his brain, trying not to think of this moment, of her. Alberta Stagg, his beauty. Lord, look at you, he thought, lungs floundering. His gaze skimmed the cords of Beatty's flaxen hair, the many hoops in her ears, the welts around her knees, the mermaid cud of her calves. Just look at you, he thought, and look he did, returning again and again to the bulge slung at his girl's waist. The bundle cloak-shielded from the elements, the spatter now a steady drizzle. She's carrying, MacCleary had said, and so she was. Hefting a child Billy Ridd might have given her, a baby she might have gone and got for them both. They ate everything the gulls hadn't scabbed, drank till the rain seemed a joke. Gingham blew off tables, cartwheeled onto waves. Crocs were dropped, broken, and buried under the skip and twirl of dancing feet. A waste, Potters would say the next morning. But for now, these losses were celebrated. They were expected. Annual tributes to the gods of wind and water. Rum doubled Billy Ridd's vision, ale blurred its edges. Swept into the sodden crown, he swigged from any jar that passed. One minute he was on the sand, numb legs flailing to reach Beatty three tables over. A blink later, he was reeling up the path into town, Beach at his back. He was battered and tossed onto the road, leaning to Calloway's, a flurry of strong palms beating across his shoulder as the other boys tried to slap up some of his fortune. Filled her guts, they said. All ruddy-cheeked, butcher-built men like himself. Thumping and clapping, the lads passed him shot after shot of salt water, whooping till he threw them down, howling when he threw them back up. Leaving Rid to contemplate the mess on his boots, they stomped up the plank to the pub. The din inside roared when the double doors opened, slurred voices, shrill pipes, the barman shouting out orders. Before they'd swung to, Billy Ridd heard the boys cheering his mermaid, and quieter but distinct, Beatty's giggled delight as the babe in her arms started baying. Might be there right, Billy thought, straightening. The kid could have been my doing. It happens. It has happened. Stumbling, he took a step toward the pub for each of the landbirds they'd had on this rock they called home. Beatty was one, no doubt about it. Not a snip or surgeon's scar on her. But that was eighteen-odd years ago, he thought, shaking the rum fog from his head. Ma Cleary's niece? Yeah, she and the bottlemen from Dun Bay had themselves a small brood of landlubbers. No gills, no fins in the bunch. Half a dozen of Rigged's dockside mates were earth stock like him. No merchild he'd ever seen could grow their class of beard or book. Not every babe was fished, Rid thought. He paused on the stoop, listened. This one could be mine. Inside, the baby cried, a liquid mule with a note of whale song about it. Alberta had once been Billy's alone, his own shy girl who'd beat bushed at his swagger, his attention, his gut-twisting love. She'd been his long before her summer ship weighed anchor, and everyone knew he'd been hers. As was custom, he'd rigged a reef knot of silk around Beatty's finger, making their intentions plain. 
as was custom, he'd knotted his body around hers, morning and night, making the most of spring. As was custom, when her bloods kept coming despite Rid's best efforts, when the tides changed and currents warmed, when the cannery reeked to the high heavens and barley began greening the fields, his beatie had bodied the very schooner that had carried her back again today, carrying. It wasn't that long ago, Rid thought, pushing into a blue fog, heavy as the clouds outside. The guppy could be ours. On the pub's threshold, he stopped, fought for breath. The air was humid with merriment and music. Standing on chairs near the hearth, Dana and her water-born son added banjos to the fiddler's medley. Over at the bar, Vin Clary outplucked them all on his mandolin. Harmonicas jangled between verses, competing with the lonesome burtle of illen pipes. Between cups and jars, hands pounded strained barrels. Heel rhythms had the floor quaking, pleasure thrumming across puddles trekked in with the rain. At the room's heart, Beatty was surrounded by cheek pinchers, back thumpers, drunken clue cluckers, her fair hair browning with sweat. Broad face lived up to her nickname. Rawhide jerkin unlaced, revealing a strong collarbone and the kelp necklace she'd made for their tiring day. Billy Ridd fancied the links still had some wet to them, though the row beads had well and truly dried. The little gems were grey now, as the pebbles in her gaze. Meeting it unsteadily, he flubbed a grin. A teeny hand had reached up from within Beatty's vest, its blunt fingers groping for the seaweed chain. Hard to tell from this distance if the bluish cast of its skin was more a trick of the grog-tinted light. If its little digits had been tipped with nails or anemones, if it looked anything at all like him. Don't go, he'd wanted to beg, all those months ago. Beatty had woken hours before dawn, her gear weighted by the front door. It hadn't taken her long to dress, to shoulder a hooded harpoon. The weapon had been a gift from her da, the blades vicious, star-shaped the same one her late ma'am had wielded. It suited her, Rid had thought, but couldn't bring himself to mention it. Beside him, the pillow still cupped the space where Beatty's head had rested. The linens were soft with her warmth. Billy Rid had inhaled the beeswax scent of her, refusing to get out of bed, to say goodbye. I can be enough, he'd want to lie. We have more than enough with two of us. Instead, he'd whistled for fair winds, and Beatty had turned a pretty crimson, self-conscious in her new skins and leathers. It was her first voyage, her first chance to hunt and shell and multiply. She would have gone with the mermaids no matter what he'd said. He only wished he'd said more. "'Good on you, lad,' Eli Stagg said now, full pride with drink. Rid's teeth rattled as Beatty's old man threw an arm around him. Nodding thanks, he wriggled free, only to be swept away in a current of dancers. The music capered, tempo unpredictable. Suddenly, Billy Ribbed was gripped under the pits, lifted like a child, then twirled and twirled and twirled. Lanterns pitched overhead, shadows tipsy. Awashed in the stench of wet wool, beer and eel, Rid swooned, clipped his chin on someone's sharp elbow, bit his tongue, saw stars. About time, Beatty said, yanking him straight, herself nearly tall as he, even barefoot. The hand she'd extended streaked red with rope burns, her laugh sun-bleached, voice barnacled. Thought you were avoiding me? She glanced down at the gup. Us. Course not, Red said, barely hesitating. 
Uncertainty flickered across Beatty's face, half a second's flinch, but she squashed it with a pickled egg kiss. Almost a year at sea had livened her tongue but sapped its honey. Billy Ridd recoiled. Aren't you going to introduce us? he said, too stiffly. Trying again, he wiped his mouth and dimpled at the mermaid, his once darling girl. Go on then, Ridd prompted, as the musicians mopped their brows, drained the dregs of Calloway's black ale. A few began packing their instruments, aiming to reach Ma Cleary's before the crowds. Let me see it. Her, Beatty said, pulling back the sealskin swaddling. No quick mustard charm could keep the pleasant in Rid's expression. His smile muscles went slack as paste. Gorgeous, isn't she? Fronds of skin dripped from the bub's angled jaw, waxen flaps the hue of new leaves. Her chest jutted as she grizzled, the strikes of her ribs visible through a thin smock. The arms were slender but stunted, fern shoots partially unfurled. Rid took in the equine nose and winced at the strange list of her gaze. One deep brown eye turned up at Beatty, the other swivelled its iris round at him. Translucent lids blinked independently, or not at all. Billy Ridd searched for signs of gills, for cornet bumps on the fry skull. Found none. Yet. Beatty beamed. Isn't she the prettiest little thing you ever saw? Around them, mermaids raised jars, bellowing shanties. Calloway tapped the last keg, uncorked the final two barrels of mash. Tin pipes whistled for all the look in the world, their empty wind blowing beautifully nowhere. Never seen one quite like her, he said at last, earning another strong-armed embrace. The stolen bub pipped and squirmed between them. Quivering, Rid buried his face in his wife's brackish locks and wept. For a month they called her Guppy, same as every other sea child. A month for her to earn a name, to thrive on land. A month for Billy Ridd to adjust. Drinking mostly brine, the bub grew plump and fast. While Ridd nursed the thirsty thing, Beatty and the mermaids disappeared over the rim of the world. Twice daily fish drew them oceanwards and fish brought them back. The routine kept the town's pantries full, the lasses' figures hard. Before long, they'd be pointing brow spritz east again, raising sails, wetting harpoons. Until then, the women would work, keep the iron in their muscles. It wouldn't do for the island's best hunters to run to suet in the off-season. It took steel to replenish stocks. Billy Ridd knew this as well as anyone. Folk wouldn't survive without them. With the boys at Callaway's, Billy Ridd laughed it off. His failure. He was no different from his mates, really. None of them had managed to cast their lines through a mermaid's salt, except Tuck, just that once when he'd barely learned how to handle his rod. That kid barely counted, though. Within a day, the poor thing suffocated with a bellyful of air. Even so. By now, Beatty must have been as raw as Ridd was after a fortnight of his contributions, his trying and trying and trying for a bub of their own. A real one. One he'd made, not one she'd snatched. Maybe the sea had grown too strong in Beatty's blood. Maybe. Or too weak in his. Maybe it was the way she rode him now as she never had before. Maybe it was the bile in Rid's thoughts, the burn of wondering where exactly she'd got the gup. From whom exactly, and how. Maybe it was the ache of not asking. Maybe it was that Beatty didn't, wouldn't need him. 
Maybe that's what left him so empty. That cup's not right, Rid thought. All afternoon on the quay, she'd huffed and chortled in Ma Clary's lap, gumming a piece of dried cod. The grand doted on Beatty's child, watched after her while Ridge sorted and cleaned and filleted a half ton of trout. When name day planning had called Ma up to the bingo hall, she'd pass the bub onto the coast guard. Taking turns, the young men harnessed Gup to their backs, buoyed by her weird fluting, as they patrolled the harbour. At last, when no one else had been free, Billy Ridd was forced to bring the baby and her noise home. The cottage had been dank as a baithouse when they'd got in. Beatty'd had the windows open again, despite the autumn squalls. Rid hadn't bothered to sop the puddles between the casements, knowing they'd soon be propped and dripping again. Beatty claimed to like it that way, cool and blustery. Said it reminded her of being on deck. Rid lowered the baby into clean bathwater, then dragged the tin tub near the hearth. Hunkering beside it, he sat back on his heels, paddled his fingers down by Guppy's feet, avoiding the spiked curl of her toes. She sputtered strange notes, more agape. As if it hadn't mastered its nostrils, Rid thought, as if the damp air up here is too dry for its mouth. With one hand he soaked a square of flannel, wrung it out, soaked and wrung, soaked and wrung, splashing himself more than her. The other cupped his chin, held his head up, Orange pennants rippled in the flute draught, tips jiggling, hooking Billy Ridd's lashes, dragging his lids to half-mast. Logs sighed and settled, heat lulled like nostalgia, like some baked memory. In the fawning flames, Ridd saw golden days, times he'd spent with Beatty before, when there'd been no ships or guppies for them, no bucklers or harpoons, no tying ceremonies or name days, no boop that wasn't theirs, not really. When they'd been kids and sweet on each other. When they'd taken shifts at the guttery together, quick-slicing salmon bellies, carp heads. When they'd snuck to the rock pools at lunch, smoked stolen cigs. When they'd decorated each other's faces with iridescence, scales stuck to their overalls, and they'd pretended, Lord, how they'd pretended. They were magical. She was, Billy Rideout thought, now as then. Salt glistening in her hair, freckles on her nose, blue and yellow in the sunlight. The chunk torn from her gums, an inheritance, Mac Cleary once said, of the first mermaid, the first hook that failed to snag her. It was the second cast that had done the trick, taken the girl home. The second cast, Rid thought, up to the elbows and suds and warmed. The second had been strong and true. What the blight are you doing? At the cottage door, Beatty dropped her cloak and bag. Cold night gusted in as she dashed across the small room. Five strides and she'd shoved rid away from Guppy, the bub blurbling, submerged to the nose. A splash in the basin is more than enough, Beatty said, scooping the child, voice lowered, aiming to soothe. More than enough. You don't want her to drown. Of course not, Rid thought, sinking to the floor. Beatty slapped his hands when he reached for the towel. Cooing and fussing, she turned her back, swaddled the girl tight, held her close, bounced the near miss from her nerves. Left eye trained on Rid, right on the overall tub, guppy keened, a rippling, uncertain song. 
Oh, how the boyers would snort to see Billy Reid acting so mawkish. Steaming up bottles, scrubbing her unders, airing quilts between downpours, plumping Beatty's pillow with fresh plucked down, roasting stones in the fire, slipping them under the blankets, keeping the ice from her toes while she napped. Bartering crayfish for spuds, onions, carrots, sweet-talking Ma Clary out of a bottle of new cream, cooking huge batches of the stag's favourite chowder, bypassing Callaways in the evenings, heading straight home to see Beatty off the docks, waking early to greet her at dawn, brewing new leaves for her after-sale tea. The week leading up to Gup's naming day party, Billy Ridd did what he could to help, to make things right. He threaded garland after garland after garland of urchins, ribbons, coral and kelp. He hung them from the bingo hall's rafters so Beatty wouldn't have to do it. He lugged tables and benches galore, set them all up, leaving plenty of room for dancing. When Callaway came to stock the bar, he stayed the hell out of the way. But still, even so. Beatty had stopped tangling her legs round his at night. She'd started bringing Guppy with her down to the docks, saying, The Nans loved the girl so, saying, They cared deeply and dearly, saying, They wanted nothing but to spend time with the child. It'll be cruel to deny them, Beatty said, freeing Guppy from Red's grasp. They're only trying to make her feel welcome. They're doing their best. As if Red wasn't. That night, Calloway's overflowed with Roman revellers, the whole town was expected to show the next morning, bow-tied and be-gartered, before mermaids lifted anchor for the first catch. But a naming day just wouldn't be a naming day if folks weren't fur-tongued and skull-sore, retching into the buckets Billy Ridd had scattered around the hall. The whole island was expected at dawn, sea-striders and sand-runners, tykes and cane-toters, those born to man and those taken. Every last soul would have to be out of their blooming senses come morning to pretend Guppy belonged. Limber up, Red said to Eli Stagg, flexing and throwing back another belter of a screech, his words burred, slow and coming. Got a big ask tomorrow. One minute Beatty's dow was tilting the rim, the next his glass was drained on the bar in front of an empty seat. Red's neck swerved. A pint foamed in his grip. A second later it was shards glinting beneath his stool, replaced by a plastic kitty cup. Black mesh and sour cherry swilled down his craw, scorching a path to his stomach. Behind the taps, Calloway scowled as Billy Ridd ordered another, but served it up anyway. Good man, Ridd said, or something like. Maybe lucky man. The barkeep leaned over the counter, lit the cig Ridd had stuffed arsend into his gob. The publican never had gups of his own, lucky man. Never had planted nor sea-sowed. Good man. How about a splash of the bland stuff, Calloway said, sliding a pitcher of melted ice down the plank. Might be you've had enough of the harsh. Might be, Brid agreed, but it felt good in him. The blaze in his heart, the lava in his belly. It got him up off the stool, onto the dance floor, where Beatty spun and spun, locks flying loose baby on her hip, Squeeze boxes hawed and fiddles tweezed as Rid barged through the crowd. Flutes, real flutes, no mere haypennies these, tootled like Gup as he wrenched her away from the mermaid, his wife. Things squawking for a feed, he said, cradling the bub. Look how thirsty, give her back! Around them, sailors thumbed knife hilts, toyed with sword belts. Pipers thrilled, undaunted, while wooden spoons clacked, missing beats. 
String pluckers and soars climbed off stage, tension bloating into the gaps of their music. She's thirsty, he said quietly, enunciating precisely. I'll take care of her. Beattie rested her palm on Billy Ridd's forearm, firm but gentle. She smiled, a spark of fun in her expression, humour he hadn't seen in weeks. Do what you gotta do, Billy boy, she said, patting him like a child. But mind you keep her wee snorter above water this time. Through the hot rush of blood in his ears, Ridd couldn't hear every mermaid's laughter, only the closest to him, the loudest and least shy. Outside, threadbare clouds blanketed the navy's sky. Stars peeped through holes here and there, silvering billows above and swells below. Thigh deep in the ocean, Billy Ridd crooned a lullaby. In his shaking arms, Guppy add garbled notes, high as the moon chunk overhead, its reflection hazed around them, wavering on the expanse of wet black. In the distance, dorsal fins broke the surface. Two, four, seven. Too rigid to blend with the whitecaps. Rid stood and watched like the sentries weren't. The men slunk off for a stint of elbow-raising down at the pub. It's been a month, they'd no doubt reasoned. Surely a month gone is enough time for the damned fish to forget. Rid studied Gup's elongated features, saw their likeness cresting the waves. Still singing, he trudged further into the wash. Winter lurked in the deeps, shriveling him. Shame boiled anew, thoughts of Beattie scorching his cheeks, how she'd left him, how she'd returned. The baby gurgled as Rid plunged her, in and out, in and out, in and out of the water. She giggled as if it were a game, her skin fronds flapping and floating, dripping. Sodden, her mess cloth sagged, slid off, sank. Switching tunes, Billy Rid disentangled Gup from her smock, let her ridges free the hard clay of her skin, all spine and cartilage and bone. Better, he decided. The bub honked, wide-gummed with agreement. More natural, he thought. The sea foamed as Rid churned. Submerged or not, Guppy was alert, eyes ever open, ever swerving. Salt water rushed in and out, her protruding lips sucked, spurted. Horse, Rid hissed, come on, come on, avoiding the bub's mouth fountain. Her odd gaze, its unblinking ease, its alien colour. He played deaf to the squelch of liquid burps. Come on, he repeated louder now, holding the girl under. Forearm straining, Rid whispered, come on, come on. As ten seconds passed, twenty, the baby's slow wriggle turning full squirm. Come on, he said again and again, a voice cracking. Come on, until finally she was wrenched from his grasp. The creature was more man than seahorse, more stallion than pony. A trumpet nose dominated his long face. Traces of sorrow in the black round eyes were undermined by the angry trumpeting of his snout. Spikes lined his muscular arms, fronds the same shape and hue as the bubs dangled from a strong jaw. A carapace of ribs toughened his chest, accentuating the round softness of his stretched-marked belly. His were a warrior's shoulders, broad, inked-marked, boasting scars, Squiggles puckered the flesh on biceps and delts, a vicious, spark-shaped scab livid between clavicle and neck, Beatty's wound. 
Treading water for a moment, the hippocampus cradled his squeaking child, mesmerized by her existence. Tail curled around weeds, the creature stretched to its full height, shorter than Billy Ridd. Our guppy would have been quite the runt, he realised, from the looks of it. The seahorse nipped gills into his baby's neck, then immersed her slowly, gently, as though afraid she'd vanished if left out of his sight. As she was lowered, Guppy exhaled without music, quietly graceful. The dissonant strain of her land breathers hushed. Not ours, Rid corrected as the bub drank the sea into her lungs, as she and her da sank into the star-speckled blackness without a word. She was never ours. Ripples arrowed east, flippers and arms slicing away toward plundered isles. Waiting for his pulse to slow, Rid tapped out the jig splash of seahorses departing. When he could no longer tell the difference between liquid peaks and fins, he turned and faced shore, saw the yellow glow of Callaways atop the hill, spilling like weak ale across the boardwalk. Snippets of song drifted on the quickening breeze, cause of joy, backslaps of mirth. Shivering, Rid gauged the distance between here and there. A far walk, he decided, farthest he might ever take. Wilting to his knees, Rid felt his limbs vaguely steeped in chill. Just a minute's rest, he told himself, looking down at his freezing hands, flipping them a couple of times to make sure they were still there. On his palms, a swath of scales simmered in the moonlight. Had he touched the stallion? Had he soaked up some of his magic? I must have, Rid thought. I must have. Inspired, he slashed to his feet. Shy Beatty always hated dancing and parties. He'd rescue her from the crowd, take her to the rock pools, freckle her pink prettiness with scales. Oh, how she'd glisten then, how she'd love. You're a fool, Billy Rideout, he thought a second later, flopping into the shallows. Part squatting, he rubbed his hands together, watched the iridescence flake slowly away, his body aching with cold. Useless cock shriveled, balls in his belly, overalls heavy with naught but seawater. Only one way to fetch a bub, he knew, only one way that he could accept. From the shallows, Billy Ridd swore he heard his wife's heels skip-stepping on Callaway's floorboards, emptied glasses thunking on the bar, spoon beats and hide wrappings and harmonica wails. Tilting his head, he listened to another, closer, deep wooden rhythm. Tethered ships colliding with sails, hulls bumping against pilings, ropes creaking between gunwales and jetties, masts swaying, figureheads stretching, pointing to the fecund east. Mind whirl, Rid calculated. He measured the span between here and way up the hill, there, here, and just over to the docks, there. Deciding, he bent and scooped a shot of salt water, Swallowed for luck, steeled himself to go. And welcome back. That was our story. We hope you enjoyed it. Now let's go to our assistant editor for the episode feedback. Salam, good people. This is Khalida Muhammad Ali assistant editor over here at PodCastle. Hope you've all been well. Feedback this week is for PodCastle episode number 430, 
Thunder God and Therapy by Effie Seiberg. This one got high praise. Electric Paladin said, My wife is a therapist, and she has frequently complained about writing progress notes. I can picture Dr. Brinkman's notes. Writer provided a reality check. Writer provided unconditional positive regard. Writer reflected client's feelings of frustrations and reminded client of his goal. Though, I've got to say, the only thing that irritated me was Dr. Brinkman's accent. Not all therapists are German, even though the infamous Dr. Freud was. My wife isn't. Dr. Brinkman is Roman, so shouldn't he have had an Italian accent, if any? Wouldn't he think it was pretty weird to talk in a German accent? That would be a barbarian accent from his point of view. EFBQ said, Speaking as someone who has dealt with her own mental health issues, I love this story. I was a bit confused at first. For some reason, Graham's narration left me expecting Zeus to be going through the motions of therapy. It wasn't something that he had chosen. It was something that the courts had forced him to do. He was going to just sit through it and show them all. As the story progressed, and I realized that the story wasn't about that kind of struggle at all. It's really a pleasure to listen to a story which is really about internal conflict rather than external, with just enough zapping and mayhem to keep it from getting stale. I was going to question Zeus's relationship with Themis, but I looked it up. The story is officially educational. It taught me that Zeus had a second wife. Insert stormy marriage pun here. Chrome Rat said this. This had me laughing throughout except for the internet contest, probably because A, the reasons that everyone else mentioned, B, I am unaffected by cat picture memes, I'm seeing a doctor about that, I also was trying to merge the Thor from this story with the one from the version of Douglas Adams' Long Dark, The Time of the Soul. Thank you, Electric Paladin, EFBQ, Chrome Rat, and everyone else who stopped by to comment. Keep coming back to let us know what you think of our stories. I, for one, love hearing your varied, intelligent, and thoughtful comments about the stories we produce. For those of you who didn't leave a comment this time, I sure hope you'll jump into the fray on the next go-round by visiting the Escape Artists Forum at form.escapeartists.net. We would love to hear your thoughts. Well... That's it for now, but we'll be back next week. Hope to see you there. Peace. Thank you for those comments. Stop on by and let us know what you thought of today's story. While you're there, consider making a donation. Every single cent goes towards paying our authors so we can keep bringing you the best fantasy fiction week after week. And if you can't donate, please consider blogging or tweeting about us and spreading the word. That was our show for this week. On behalf of everyone at Podcastle, thanks for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week, and until then, this is Angela Slater reminding you that when you hear the mermaids singing each to each, you'd best be wary. <laughs> <laughs>